How many of you know the song, Deep and Wide? Okay, it's, not, it's a complicated song, right? I mean, you, the lyrics are deep and wide, and then just in case you missed it, deep and wide, there's a fountain. I, I do the one-handed, Miss Betty Carpenter is a two-handed fountain, I do the one-handed fountain. There's a fountain flowing Deep and wide, right? And then in the version that's in my head, you know how in your head you have certain versions of the songs? In my head, there's a boom, 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 all right? Is that anybody else? All right, just me. All right, thank you for making me feel weird this morning. All right, and so in my head you do that, then you go back. Do you know there's a second verse? Did you know there's a second verse of deep and wide? Do you know that? It is, somebody said over here, it is wide and deep. So do you see what they did there? They switched the words up, all right? So, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain. Anybody know where that comes from in the Bible? Yeah, that's good. Did you know that came from the Bible, first of all? Okay, there's some places that they think it may come from. There's some descriptions in the Old Testament about fountains. There's the description about the love of the Lord, how high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of God from the book of Ephesians. But... There are also those that think it comes from John chapter 4. That's where I want you to turn. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. What is the story in John chapter 4? Anybody know? I hope so, because we talked about it two weeks ago. All right. What's the story there? Who's it about? Jesus, me too. That's good. Somebody else. Samaritan woman, right? In John chapter 4, you remember, he's, he goes into town, he uh, sends, or actually sends the disciples into town, and he goes to the well, and there's a woman that comes, Samaritan woman, and we talked about um, what is happening there, and we, they talked about worship, and it's Jesus' extended teaching on worship, and he says, hey, I need some water, and she says, um, why are you asking me for water? And he said, listen, lady, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask me for water, and I would give you water that would never end. It is a never-ending fountain, a deep and wide fountain. All right? Well, the reason I wanted to talk about that song at the beginning and reference John 4 is not only we're we going to be there today, but we've been talking over the last few weeks about what a church ought to be, who the church is for, and what it ought to do. And today we're going to have the third thing that a church ought to be doing. The first week we talked about big worship. That the church ought to be lifting together the name of Jesus. We ought to be singing praises to Him. And it ought to be the kind of thing, not just in our lifestyle, but here in this corporate place where we're singing and celebrating and worshiping together. Last week we talked about deep growth. That we need to be taking our lives into the study of God's Word, but that the most important part of growth is obedience. Right? That's the most important part. And so we need to be obeying what God called us to do. Well, not only is a church supposed to go wide, it's supposed to go, or actually not supposed to go deep, it's supposed to go, that's what happens when you're a preacher and you give away the answer, right? It's supposed to go wide. Okay? So this week we're going to talk about a wide reach for the church. And in John chapter 4, we have this really kind of amazing story about the Samaritan woman. You remember Jesus says to her, hey, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And he says, that's right, you've had five. This woman, the one you're living with, the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she says, wow, you are a prophet. And they have this discussion about worship. We get to the end of that, kind of where we left off. And I want you to see what happens to this woman. And what I want you to understand is that what we're going to talk about today is the fact 
that every church ought to be attempting and doing things to reach widely into the community and to the area where God has called it. That any church that says, we're good with what we've got, has completely missed the boat on what God intends. Any church that says, we don't want to get too big, has missed the boat on what God intends. God loves people coming to know Him. And so what we're going to see today is a couple of things. And the first thing is, and I want you to understand this before we look at the Scripture, and we're going to look at this particular woman, is that all reaching wide begins or flows out of a personal experience with the Lord. It flows out of that. That's where it begins, from that personal experience. Look at what happens in chapter 4, starting in verse 25. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when He comes, when He comes, He'll explain it all to us. And Jesus just answers real easily. He says, I am. Now, here's what's interesting. In the original language, I know it says here, I am He, because in English we try to make it work. But in the original language, He just kind of says, I am. Now, that carries a couple of connotations. First of all, he's saying, I am the Messiah. But there's only one person that has ever called himself I am, right? And that is God. So his declaration here is, not only am I the Messiah, I am the Lord. I am, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Just then, his disciples arrived. They kind of come upon the scene. And I love this little tidbit in the midst of John. And they were amazed he was talking to a woman. Now, in their day and time, the rabbis taught that talking to women was a useless activity. In fact, some rabbis told in their writings that talking to your wife was an useless activity that would lead you to the gates of Gehenna. Now, I'm not going to ask for any show of hands from the guys here today. They didn't think that it was worth doing anything to talk to people about it. And so, the disciples walk up and he's talking to a woman in the middle of the day who is a Samaritan. And so they naturally confirm about it, right? No, they don't say anything is what it says. They, they see it, they don't say anything, but they're thinking it, what in the world is going on? No one says, uh, why are you talking with her? Says to the woman, what do you want? So they're there, this is awkward scenes happening. Jesus is talking to this woman, the disciples start to come up, and the woman, seeing what happens in verse 28, says that she left her water jar. Now, there have been sermons preached about leaving your water jar. I think it means here that she left her water jar. <laughs> All right? She dropped it. Either, I mean, maybe she thought, well, Jesus needed the water. He can have the water. Or it is symbolic in some way of leaving behind what she came to do to do something else. But the point is, she dropped it and she goes back to town. Don't read too much into that. All right? But the point is, she went back into town and told the men, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. He could be. Or... Could this be the Messiah? So here's what happens. 
She goes, he talks to her about her husband. They get all that out in the open. They talk about worship. And then she says, listen, we know the Messiah explained all. And he says, I'm the Messiah. And she sees the disciples, hears the word of the Lord, drops the water jar, and runs back to the village to tell people about Jesus. People who have had a real encounter with the living God can do nothing but tell other people about it. James McDonald, a pastor up in um, Chicago, says, A real encounter with the living God changes everything. First it magnifies the Lord, and then it puts me and my ego and my sin and my burdens all in their rightful place. The first step in reaching out to the community around us, the first step in reaching your neighbors or talking to your friends or reaching your family or telling them about Jesus is, you must be talking from a place of a real encounter with Jesus in the first place. The statistics about the number of believers, quote unquote, in America who share their faith, is frightening in how small it is. And I think that one of the reasons is because we have a lot of people who say they're believers that have never had a real encounter with the living Lord. And they're assuming that they're okay. started reading a book this week by a guy named J.D. Greer, who's a pastor over in North Carolina. The title of the book is provocative, and it was provocative enough I bought it but, uh, and started reading it. And it was called, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And he tells the beginning of the story that J.D. Greer is this pastor. He said, listen, it's strange that I'm writing this. He said, because I've been baptized four times in my life in the same church. He said, I was baptized when I was eight or nine. He said, and then I went to a youth camp. And at the youth camp, I was like, ooh, I didn't know what I was doing. And I went back and said, i got to be baptized again. And they baptized me again. And then about three weeks later, I was like, ooh, I don't know what I was doing. He said, it got to the point that when we had baptism service, they were like, oh, it must be J.D. again. He said, so I understand that. He said, but my concern is not only... He's writing this book, if you will, for those people that are wondering, okay, when do I know it's real? He said, my concern is also for those people on the other side that think they have the security and they don't. He tells this story about going to play basketball down at the local community center. He said he's kept seeing this guy over there that was playing every week and he thought, hey, I'm going to invite him to play ball with me. And as they started to play, he realized his mouth was using words that he, he didn't even know existed. He had tattoos all over his body and he talked about the women he had been with over and over again. And so J.D. said, as we're playing this game, we get into it, and he's a pretty good player, and we're playing pretty close. And he said, I just start in the midst of doing this, instead of trash talking, I start talking about how I came to a relationship with the Lord. And he said, after about three sentences, the guy stopped me and said, whoa, 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 are you trying to witness to me? And he said, my first thought was, wow, he knows the word. He goes, well, I was going to, he goes, man, that's awesome. He goes, nobody's tried to witness to me in like years. He said, but I'm okay, I'm okay. He goes, when I was like 13, I went to this youth camp, and at the youth camp, this guy got up on the stage, and he said, hey, listen, if you want to go to heaven, you need to come down right now. And he said, say this prayer. And I said that prayer, and I got done with that prayer. And I was like, whoo, that's good. And he goes, and I was like super Christian. He said, I invited people to come, and they, they got saved. It was awesome. I went to the youth group. He said, I did the True Love Waits thing. He said, I did all that stuff. And he said, about two years after I did that, I realized that I really wanted to do some stuff God didn't want me to do. And so I started doing what I wanted to do. He said, and basically I left all that behind and now I'm a very happy atheist. He said, but here's the cool thing. He said, it was a Baptist camp. 
goes, you're Baptist, right? And J.D. Greer said at that moment there was awkward silence all around. He said, at the Baptist camp, you know what's cool? They told me, they said, listen, once you do this, you don't ever have to worry about it again. Once saved, always saved. He said, so here's the cool thing. Even if I'm wrong now as a happy atheist, I still got that as my backup plan. And I don't ever have to worry about it again. Listen, I don't know of any of you that are playing pickup games, tattooed, cussing out, talking about conquest. But there are a lot of people in church that have that same kind of story without all the gory details that finish it. Well, when I was 12 or 13, I said a prayer, walked down the aisle. I said, Jesus come into my heart. and My preacher told me that I don't have to worry about it again. But that's not what the Bible really says salvation is all about. Right? Right? I mean, it, it does say that I believe salvation happens in a moment. Some of you think, Woo, we're about to get off track here. We are Baptist church. Let's... Now, I do believe that it happens in a moment. And once you are saved, you are always saved. But the mark of someone who is saved is lifelong obedience and following of Jesus. It's not a prayer you pray one time in a one-time ceremony and then move on. It's a posture, a continuing of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for a lifetime. And the reason we don't have a lot of people sharing Jesus is we got a lot of people that said a prayer and have walked away. Mentally, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. I mean, when something good happens, you want to tell people, right? I mean, just basic stuff. Proud of my son Eli. Yesterday he scored three-point play. He didn't hit a three-pointer. Shot, made a basket, got fouled, hit the free throw. We left there. We won the game, which, you know, for us and the team that Kevin Steelman and I are coaching, that's a big accomplishment this year. It's our third win in nine games, so you figure out the record. But um, We leave there, and the first thing, Susan says, so who do you want to call? Right? Well, we got to get grandparents on the phone. We got to let them know. We got to do FaceTime. You know, not that we won, that Eli scored. Although, I, I wanted to call Dad and tell him we won too. But, you know, you you want to tell things, right? You're excited about it. People that have had the most life-altering change in the history of the world, having Jesus Christ come into their life and then follow Him, can do nothing but tell people about it. Reaching wide flows out of personal experience. Here's the same thing we see in her testimony. Reaching wide involves telling the simple gospel. What did she say? It says she went back to the town. What did she say? You can read it. What did she say? Hey, there's a man out here, and I think he's the Messiah. Come see him. That's it. She did not give a lengthy description of all that had happened. She just said, listen, he knew everything about me. I think he's the Messiah. You come check it out. That's it. Personal experience, truth about him, ask for a response. That's all that it requires in sharing the gospel. What Jesus did for you, who Jesus is, what he did, what are you going to do about it? 
When Peter stands up on Pentecost and he gets ready to say this amazing sermon, these things have happened, the Holy Spirit has come, people are saying, what's going on? He says, first of all, we're not drunk, but let me tell you what's happened to us. And he gives their testimony of, this is what God did in us. Now let me tell you about Jesus. He is amazing. He is awesome. You killed Him, but He came back from the dead. Now what are you going to do? When you're talking to people, you know your story, right? You know... You're looking at me like you don't know your story. You know, if you don't know your story, I don't know your story. All right? You know your story, right? If you don't know your story of how you came to Christ, of how you started to follow Him, then maybe you need to check whether or not there's a personal experience where you started following the Lord. And if not, that's something you need to rectify with the Lord. But if you know your story, you just tell it. And you don't have to go into gory details unless the gory details are required. And it doesn't have to be the most amazing testimony that has ever existed. It's Jesus changed me. Listen to me. We sang a story. Um, I sang a story. We sang a song. That's what you do. You tell stories. You sing songs. Thank you very much for helping me. We sang a song this morning in first service, The Vilest Offender. And we sing that usually. We go, ooh, yeah, those vile offenders. But you know who he's talking about? Me. Anybody that has been rescued from being the vilest offender of sin and given a hope and a future and a place in eternity with God. That is an amazing story. Amen? And you tell that and then you say, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what He wants to do for you. What are you going to do about it? That's it. It's simple. You don't have to have memorized the book of Leviticus. Amen? You do not have to have an answer to every question. Do you realize I have been through now about 128 years of schooling? At least that's what it feels like. And my wife amens on that one, right? I've been through all that schooling. Do you know there are questions people ask? I don't know the answer to. And you know what I say when I don't know the answer? Let me make up one real quick. Is that No, I say I don't know. But this is what I do know. You remember the guy that got healed from being blind? He goes to the people and the leaders and he says, listen, this guy. And they go, well, what do you think about this? Do you think he is from God or do you think he... I don't know. He says, I don't have a clue. What I know is I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. But what you do have to do is you have to say it. Reaching wide involves sharing the simple gospel, but it involves sharing the simple gospel boldly. The single term that best describes the way that we share the gospel is boldness. Now, in the New Testament, the word bold is used 42 times. Now, it's not translated bold every time it's used, but it's used 42 times. And as it's used those 42 times, it's translated openly, freely, plainly, with confidence... But most commonly, it's some form of the word bold. And it doesn't mean yelling and screaming. It's not pushy. It's not loud unless it needs to be loud. It just means that in the face of possible opposition, you speak the truth. Here's what I love about this this lady. When was she coming to get water? Middle of the day. Why would you come in the middle of the day? So nobody else will see you, right? 
So nobody else will do anything about it. Nobody will know you're there. So she comes in the middle of the day. She sits there. She's watching that. Jesus comes. They have this conversation. And this woman who came in the middle of the day, so nobody in town would know she was out there, and she would have to speak to anybody else in town, runs immediately back to the town, and with boldness begins to declare, you've got to come see this guy. The coward becomes the brave. Jesus talked with boldness. In fact, the word's used about him several times. It's translated different ways. And one time it says the Pharisees, he started to talk about the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes were going to be killing him. And that after three days he would rise again. And it says, and he stated this plainly or boldly. He, he spoke openly. It says that some of the people in the Jerusalem looked at Jesus and said, Hey, this is the man they're trying to kill, and yet he still speaks openly. Remember the song, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus is talking openly, even when it's not popular or wise sometimes, people would think. And he speaks it clearly. It says that the hour is coming, Jesus spoke, when I will speak no longer in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly. It means boldly. Jesus just sometimes had to say, this is the truth. This woman, impacted so much by what Jesus says, can think of nothing else but going back and telling everybody she knows about it. But there's a side note in this story that I want to finish with, because I think it's so important. And that is that reaching wide in a church involves the proper focus as well. So remember when we left the story, she's gone back to the town. The disciples are just now coming to Jesus, right? And it says, in the meantime, in verse 31, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Now, the verse before this had told us that the people of the town are on their way to him. And for Jesus is there, and the disciples said, hey man, you need to eat something. Listen, we went to town, we got you some food, you were getting the water, we're good. Hey, we're not going to talk about that woman that you were talking to, but anyways, we got you something to eat. And Jesus says in verse 32, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now, I love what the disciples say, what these apostles say, because it, they sound like a mom whose child sits down to the dinner table and won't eat. Did you already have something to eat? Did you sneak some Cheetos this afternoon that I didn't know about? I mean, that's what they say, right? Could someone have brought him something to eat? Now, here's the thing I want you to notice. What are they concerned about here? What are they worried about? Food. Now, we've all been there, right? Anybody here ever been hungry? Let me just ask, real honestly, anybody here that when you get hungry, you can think about very little else than what you're going to eat? Yeah, the rest of you are lying. All right. I mean, like really hungry, all right? So they're, they're thinking, what, what do you mean? He, he's got to be hungry. He's been out of here. We've been walking. We know he's hungry. He told us to go get food. Wait, what are we going to do? And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And at this point, the disciples are going, what in the world is he talking about? And then he says, and this is the verse we want to kind of focus on for a minute. Don't you say, there are still four more months, then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. Here's the scene I think is happening. 
They're gathered around. Jesus is there. They're at the well. They're near the well. The pot's been dropped. The jar's been dropped. And she's run back. They're sitting there and they're trying to get him to eat. Jesus, come on, eat. And the, the scripture makes it sound like it wasn't just a one time. Hey, do you want something? No, I'm good. Okay, good. They're like, eat. Come on, you've got to eat something, Jesus. Jesus, it's time. we've got some food. What do you want? We brought some. What do you want? I don't want to eat. Well, I've got food that you don't know about. And they're sitting there focused on the food, focused on Jesus, focused on themselves. And the whole time coming towards them is an entire town of people seeking Jesus. And they are so caught up in themselves that they can't realize that the people are coming. And Jesus says to them, open your eyes. And look. Turn around. Don't focus on yourself. Look out. They're coming. They're on their way. You know what's interesting is Jesus, from what we can tell from this passage, Jesus is going to talk to these people coming out, but He's also going to give the disciples some opportunities to kind of share with them. But He's saying to them, quit focusing on yourself and look outwardly because the fields are ready for harvest and all you care about is the food right here and now. And His words to you and to me are to get ready for the harvest. Now I think He means that for you individually. That you need to be ready at a moment's notice to be able to talk to someone about your faith and experience with Jesus Christ. That you need to be ready at any moment when someone asks or presents an opportunity to be able to say, well, nobody ever asked me that, Pastor. Well, they're not going to say, hey, would you please give me the three-point plan that it takes to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior? That's not going to happen, all right? Unless you're a preacher and you say, would you like to know that? Yes, please, could you do that? And that still doesn't happen like once every 28 years or so. That's not going to happen. But you can sense when the fields are ripe. Do you know what most adult conversion stories are? I was going along, everything was great, life was grand, I had all this going for me, and bam! I lost my job, I lost my wife, I lost my husband, I had a kid, I lost a kid. My marriage failed, my business failed. I got a diagnosis. And I didn't know where to turn. And someone told me about Jesus. And there are people in your life every day that are having those bam kind of moments. And you've got to be ready. I read a story yesterday, somebody posted on, on Twitter about... Um, Jason Williams. Jay Williams used to play for Duke. How many, how many of you know? Okay. Went to Chicago Bulls. And after one year at the Chicago Bulls, everybody know what happened to him? Motorcycle accident, right? Uh, some of you didn't know that. He was amazing college basketball player. A lot of people thought he would eventually be a really good NBA player. After his first season, was riding a motorcycle, tore up his leg to the point that he has never played meaningfully in the NBA since. And I read this story because on Twitter somebody wrote, Amazing Story of Hope. So I'm reading the story, and he's talking about the depression he's going through. It's an in-depth story. He talks about all the things. He talks about the suicide he contemplated. And every time I'm reading the story, in my mind, just the way I think, I'm expecting, and someone came and he gave his life to the Lord, or he heard about Jesus. And I don't, maybe he did it, and they just didn't write it in the New York Times piece. But I kept waiting to hear it, and at the end of the story, it never came. And my heart said, where was the one that said, I know you're in deep depression, but let me tell you about Jesus. And the Lord just kind of 
planted in my mind, how many people do you encounter on a regular basis that it's your job to be the one that says, let me tell you about Jesus? Well, I tell them I'm praying for them. That's great. You need to pray for them. But it's not just about prayer. They need Jesus. They need the simple gospel. We messed up. God provided a plan. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. We've got to be ready for the harvest. As a congregation, as a church, we've got to be ready for the harvest. Now, we need you. Listen, we have more and more people finding us through the Internet. Okay? Some of you here have the first any kind of knowledge you had of this church was the internet. You didn't know anybody here. You didn't know anything about here. But you got on the internet, looked around, found First Baptist Goodlitzville, pulled it up. There was this, there's a video on there. By the way, there's a video on there of me currently um, from about four years ago. I only had two kids at the time, all right? That's like, you know, generations ago. But we, people see it, they watch a sermon or they look at our activities or they find our times and then they, they come. And we're doing some things on that end to kind of help to make it a little more attract, easier to navigate, all that kind of stuff. And so that's going to be there. We need your help some too in, in getting word out about what's going on. Listen, if something good happens at church, let people know. We need your help in social networking. I know. I see your Facebook feeds. I see your Twitter feeds. Those of you that have them, you're active. You're doing stuff, you know. Promote stuff here. Let people know. That's a way you can do that. It's not the only way, but it's a way. We need your help in that way. We need your help inviting people. Listen, you're going to have friends that are at that moment of the bam moments and you can say to them, let me tell you what Jesus, or let me take you to church Sunday, just talk through stuff. We want you to be able to do that. As a church, when people come, we've got to be ready. In fact, some of you are fairly new here. You've only been coming a couple of times, three or four times, a couple of months. We need your help. We need to know, hey, this would have been helpful for me coming. We need your help, whether you're going to stay here or not. Whether you say, this is a church I'm going to plug into or not, we need your help. We, you can shoot an email to me at pastor at fbcgillisville.com or to Jeff Kelly at fbcgillisville.com. Just say, hey, this would have been really helpful for me on your website or when I got there or when we got there nobody spoke to us or what was really helpful is we had 80 people speak to us, whatever. We need your help. Now, all that's to say, the most important thing is for them to hear about Jesus, but sometimes we have to remove the barriers that people will have to hearing about Him. And we need your help. But the takeaway I want you to take today is this. Is my focus on sharing what Christ has done for me with people when they're ready. If you ever have a question whether someone's ready or not, just share, okay? Don't say, well, I, don't, I just don't think they're quite ready. Don't share. If they're not quite ready, I think they will probably let you know. And that's okay. The task of every church... And every believer, every follower of Christ is to tell people about Jesus. And my question to you is, are you doing that effectively? And by effectively, I don't mean do you have people coming, just are you sharing? Are you doing it? Let's pray.